call is now being recorded. Welcome in, one. Welcome in, all. Um, it is August 22nd, Sunday. We are one day removed from the 2021 draft. Um, it was a lot has happened since the last time that we podcasted, and so we've got a lot to discuss. Um, we can go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, my name is TJ. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tink. Tink, how's it going? What up? Um, it's going well. Just woke up from a nap, so I'll be a little groggy here in the beginning. Awesome. <laughs> well, how was your weekend? You were out of town. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Spent the weekend in Nagadoches at a high school buddy of mine's wedding. I know I told everyone I'd be at a wedding, but then during the draft we were playing basketball. Um, I don't know why everyone was so confused by that. The wedding was clearly not going to be at noon on a Saturday, <laughs> but, you know, what we were doing. You made it work, though. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Somehow. Okay. Well, so I think as far as structure, because we have a lot to discuss, um, I counted it up, and there have been 13 trades that are probably worth discussing in some form um, on top of 10 rounds of draft. And so we're going to kind of go chronologically through – um, I think a lot of the trades, probably seven of them, seven or eight, were made prior to the draft. So we'll kind of go through that, and then kind of we need to go through the all the trades that happened regarding the first round swaps between you and Pulitz and Klein and all of that. So we gotta we gotta rehash that, and then we're gonna kind of go through each of the first twelve picks, talk about our thoughts, how they fit into um, the rosters in which they're being added to, because I think those are definitely the most um, consequential, obviously, of the 10 rounds. Um, And then we'll continue talking about trades, and we'll hopefully at the end do draft grades as well. Um, So we've got an action-packed hour or two hours or however long um, coming up this afternoon. But the first trade um, happened on Tuesday, August 17th. I think it was literally the day after we recorded our last pod, or maybe two days after. Um, this was between Alec and Jones. And I have to think that this is a direct um, result of us discussing Alec's keeper situation. We said the only thing we were interested about when it came to keepers was if Alec was going to keep Jalen Rager or Alexander Madison. And we spent like 10 minutes discussing and debating what we thought the right move would be. And then as soon as the podcast drops, Alex trade, Alex trade Jalen Rager and the 3.11 for Jones's 3.04 and a seventh round pick. So Alex moved up seven spots in the third round, picked up the seventh round pick. Jones got Jalen Rager. Do you have any takes? Um, I mean, I guess that's fine. I mean, I, I was always team keep Madison over Rager. Um, so I guess if he wasn't going to um, keep Rager, may as well move up. I don't really have any issues with yeah. that. It makes sense from Jones' side. He's just compiling a bunch of, like, sophomore wide receivers and hoping one to – at least one of them, you know, kind of makes that jump. So I think Do it makes like sense. It, so no. I'll give you an either or. Do you like Rager or Henry Ruggs more? I honestly like Ruggs more just because he's not an Eagles um, wide receiver. And I feel like they gave up. Like, the the Raiders didn't go out and draft another rookie wide receiver in the first round. 
like the Eagles did. Instead, the Raiders signed John Brown and then kept the rest the same. So, I like. Would you rather rugs a little bit more? Yeah, that's fair. Would you rather have Terrace Marshall or Jalen Rieger? Probably Marshall, just because. Yeah. I didn't love Rager as a prospect of college, but I don't know. He went in the like went before men, so everyone was bugging. Yeah, I think that's. It is kind of crazy that Rager was drafted in the first round last year in our draft. Mm. Um, one of the first rookies taken. Like, even if you take out, like, uh, what, Brandon Cooks and Tariq Cohen, like, if you take out all the non-rookies that were taken ahead of him, he was basically, like, a top-ten pick. And then here we are, less than a year later, he's being not going to be kept. And so he's traded for, like, a third-round pick swap and an additional seventh-round pick. Kind of crazy. Mm. Yeah, so... Okay, let's move on. The next one happens um, on Wednesday, August 18th, um, and I'll kind of talk through this one. won't spend too much time on it. I gave Klein a sixth-round pick, and he gave me Irv Smith. Um, this was – and this is really, I guess, a, a greater conversation of – I decided that I didn't want to keep Matthew Stafford. That was kind of my tenth keeper, um, and I sort of talked myself into keeping him after making some of my trades like earlier in the offseason. I – I like Stafford this year fine, and um, I needed a quarterback, so I was like, eh, I might as well take Stafford. But then when it seemed apparent that I was going to have a, an early third-round pick, I kind of felt like there was going to be quarterback options available to me there, um, just in the way that quarterbacks got drafted in the draft last year. And in talking to, like, Chris about his keepers, I knew that Tannehill was going to be in the draft. And I knew that, like, okay, if I dropped Stafford, then I could – Potentially at 3.02, I could choose between Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Matthew Stafford, and Ryan Tannehill. Like, I would have all five of those options. I feel pretty good about any of them. And so I kind of made the decision I don't need um, don't need Matthew Stafford as one of my keepers because I can just take someone in the third. Um, and so then my decision was, okay, who who do I think isn't being kept so that would be that would make most sense on my team? Um, I, and I told you, I think I kind of realized this too late because I would have liked to have kept – Antonio Brown instead. I traded him like a week before when I thought for sure that I was going to keep Stafford and that he was going to be extra, and I kind of gave him away for nothing. But would have liked to have Antonio Brown. Um, oh, well. And then kind of been reaching out to Klein. I asked him about his keepers because I knew he had Goddard and Irv Smith, and I asked him if he was keeping both of them. He said he was only going to keep Goddard. And so next thing you know, and I'm trading a sixth-round pick for Irv Smith, who, you know, I – I like, I like Irv Smith a decent amount this year. I think he's in, like, my top seven or eight tight ends probably, and he's, like, 23 years old, and I think he could get some more touchdowns with some feeling regression I expect. And so, I don't know, not not too much to discuss really if I'm just giving up a sixth-round pick. But do you have any thoughts on maybe my decision to not keep Stafford or if I'm not keeping Stafford, my decision to, to choose Irv Smith over, like, a John o. Smith or, or maybe someone else? I mean, I think you mentioned that you, like, might have regretted not keeping A.B., which I think is probably fair because a lot of these tight ends didn't need – people, for, like, seem to forget entirely about tight ends between, like, rounds three and seven. Um, yeah. So they're a lot yeah, on I the board. That's kind of my one regret, too, like, looking at the draft board now of, like, there were 
really good, not to skip ahead to the draft, but there were so many good tight ends available, like, all throughout the draft. Like, Cole Komet went yeah. in the sixth, and Johnny Smith went in the ninth, and, I don't know, Evan Ingram went in the eighth. Like, Irv Smith is, in my opinion, better than those guys, but not, like, that much better when I probably would have rather kept someone else and then taken a guy like Ingram in the eighth or Komet in the sixth, and I think I probably would have come out ahead in that scenario. But regardless, I did end up getting a quarterback that I wanted at 3.02, which we can talk about when we talk about the draft. But all in all, I I feel fine about my decisions. Yeah, uh, so I think the, overall, I'm not as high on Herb as you are. Yeah. Um, but it, I think for a six-rounder, it's fine. Sure. Okay, the next one is DeWillis gave up Devin Singletary, and Josh gave up a 2022 fifth-round pick, um, which is funny because Josh had, I'm assuming, already traded his 2021 fifth-round pick <laughs> or something. But that's not not too much value to give up for Devin Singletary. Um I feel like you're a pretty big Zach Moss guy. What's your take on on the Bills' backfield this year? Do you think either of them are worth owning? And if so, like, who do you uh, prefer between the two? I think Moss is more valuable standalone. Um, I think while they're both healthy, they have relatively little value outside of, like, a touchdown like they yeah. need to score a touchdown every week to have value, and I think Moss has the best chance of doing that. Um, other than that, they split snaps pretty much evenly last year. Everywhere else except for the red zone, Moss got a little bit more. But I mean, Dave or Josh Allen is the goal line running back there. So right. while they're both healthy, I don't really, I don't think either one's more valuable than like a third, maybe a late second. I'm not sure, um, but. I do like Moss just because I think they've given Singletary the fair shot. They haven't given Moss the fair shot necessarily yet. Yeah. So I think just for that yeah. reason, he has more upside. But, I, I mean, Singletary is good, so I think. Do, do, you, maybe, do you remember uh, when Moss was taken in the draft, like in the real mm-hmm. NFL draft? What pick did they use on him? I want to say he was a fourth-round pick because they took Singletary in the okay. fourth and then they took Moss in the fourth as well. Okay, so back not back too to much years. draft capital, not too much draft yeah. capital invested there. Yeah, I'm probably the same way. I mean, I, I kind of can get behind the take that I know other people have, have said it that they're probably not going to want Josh Allen to be the goal line back like every year for the rest of his career. Like, given that they just extended him for like a ton of money, they're really going to have him like run QB power runs, like, leading with his shoulder and head, like, on every run, every time they get inside the five, like, maybe not. Um, and if so, then, then yeah, if they, like, definitively choose a running back to use of the goal line, then I would agree that that guy has value. I don't know if they're going to choose between the two. I think what you said about, like, the snap counts and how it was, it was pretty 50-50 all over the field. Like, I think that'll probably continue. Um, but I mean, a 2022 fifth round pick, I'm like, that's not a terrible bet for Jay Wood to make, especially because when we talk a lot about contingent value, I think if Zach Moss were to ever go down, um, at some point due to injury this season, I think Devin Singletary would probably take over a heavier workload rather than them just putting whoever the third string is and, and having that guy go 50-50 with Singletary as well. Like, I think Singletary would benefit from injury. Is it Breda? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's been getting a lot of camp hype. 
<laughs> okay, well, Breedis sucks. Breedis only ever been good because he was with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, he's basically mustard washed. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair. Okay, uh, next one. Also, all of these happened on Wednesday, August 18th. So the next one is Klein giving up Dallas Goddard and Pullitz giving up Michael Gallup. And I don't think there were any picks involved in this deal. No. So what is your take? Dallas, this is kind of like a this – is, this is the biggest one that we've covered so far. These are two, like, fairly promising younger players that are definitely assets to their position. What's your take between Goddard and Gallup? Was Goddard – or not Goddard. Was Gallup, like, pulled his wide receiver three? Or who is his uh, – I mean, it depends. Does he have another one? Line, like, well, I mean, he's got, like, Judy and, and Ruggs okay. and Godwin. Yeah, so – okay, yeah, yeah. A bunch so, of guys. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I like Goddard. I can't believe that freaking Zach Ertz is still around. Ever since the Twitter account did Zach Ma- or Zach Ertz break a tackle today, and it just yeah. you know, he literally can't break a tackle, I've been out of him. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been out of him for a while. Um, but – I, I do like Goddard. Apparently, yeah. Jalen Hurts has been targeting the tight ends a lot in practice. Would do with that what you will, but um, yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes sense more in the context after I talked to a client why he did it, which was essentially to keep Bullets from picking a tight end in the draft. Oh, weird. Okay, so that, that's like some galaxy brain moves happening by Klein mm-hmm. there. You're saying that so Klein reached out to Pulitz to trade him Dallas Goddard so that Pulitz wouldn't need a tight end in the draft? Mm-hmm. That is wild. <laughs> wild. <laughs> I know, I heard that. I was like, that's genius. <laughs> that honestly is kind of genius. Um, I mean, so, well, so I... I so funny. I think that Klein got the better end of this deal anyway, regardless of if it de-incentivized Pulitz from taking Kyle Pitts. Um, I mean, it shouldn't come as a shock to you that I value the wide receiver more in this trade, but Uh I mean, obviously I'm super high on the Cowboys offense this year, and and I know that Gallup is technically number three on the totem pole there, but and he's being drafted as number three, but, I mean, he's still a really talented wide receiver. And, I mean, should Amari miss time, which it seems to happen every single year that Amari will miss a couple games, and should CD go down? Like, if Gallup were to ever step into that number two role in Dallas, and he could be, like, a top 24 wide receiver pretty easily. And, I mean, even without even without that, I don't, I don't know, like, on a week-to-week basis, it kind of reminds me of, like, the – Pittsburgh situation with Juju and Deontay and Claypool or Pittsburgh or Cincinnati with T Higgins, Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, like Boyd, Juju and Gallup. They're all the number three receivers on their team, but I think any given week they could be the top scoring fantasy wide receiver on their team because all the guys are talented and they're all going to be running a lot of routes. I think probably less routes than the top guys are going to run because they'll probably lead the field whenever there are two tight ends in, but Regardless, I think Gallup is, is really talented and on a really good offense, and the Cowboys are not going to re-sign him. That's kind of what all reports and indications are saying. But mm-hmm. going into next year, I think he's going to probably be one of the top receivers on the market. Um, 
if not the top receiver on the market, uh, hitting free agency. I don't really know who else is going off the top of my head. But, yeah, I mean, and so you have the upside there. Maybe Gallup goes to an offense with a really good quarterback, and he gets into a really good situation where he's not the number three wide receiver on the team and only running routes on, like, 60% of passing plays. Um, so I don't know. I, I like Gallup this year, especially I think he has a lot of contingent value plus standalone value plus future value as well. So I'm kind of all in on Gallup this year. I'm sort of talking myself into him more and more as I say this <laughs> sentence. And so maybe I'll try to trade, <laughs> maybe I'll try to trade for Gallup with Clyde before this episode comes out. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do like Gallup a lot. And Goddard, I don't really have an opinion on. But I do think that, I, I lied, I do. I think that seeing what we saw in the draft where tight ends just don't have that much value, I don't know if Goddard is, like, that important. Also, Grant took Gusecki in the third round as, like, the first non-hit tight end taken. Yeah, and I was so, shocked by that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if you're One, because I've been trying to give Gusecki – yeah, I've been trying to give Gusecki a pull for, like, a six for, like, <laughs> a year and a half now, but – yeah. I mean, I like Gusecki, and yeah. but I like I think I would rather just have kept Gallup and then taken Gusecki in the third, you know. Or mm-hmm. if you're trading for Goddard, maybe you don't take Gusecki in the third when there are guys like John Smith available in the ninth and Furks are available in the ninth too. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess that's more of like a positional value discussion rather mm-hmm. than like Goddard as a player. Like I don't really have any taste on Goddard as a player. Um, so yeah. Uh, so moving on, I'll let you discuss this one. Klein was really wheeling and dealing on on mm. Wednesday the 18th. I said that in the group meet too, but I mean he had the Irv Smith trade, he made the Dallas Goddard trade, and then with you on Wednesday night, he traded Adam Thielen to you for Tyler Boyd straight up. Uh, and I think that we probably have different takes on this trade, but I would love to hear uh, from you first why you why you did it and kind of what you're seeing here. I mean, my logic was Boyd, to me, it doesn't have this feeling that I necessarily need in, like, a wide receiver, too. All of my wide receivers are low or high floor, low ceiling guys. So I feel like the variance that Dillon provides and, like, the ceiling potential was helpful. And I didn't lose a pick. And I had so many – I had, like – a first-round pick this year for the first time ever. I was probably going to take a wide receiver. I kind of assumed, worst-case scenario, I don't even end up keeping Thielen next year if he, like, gets hurt and his age kind of starts affecting him more than it seems. Um, I really am not out too much. Um, so that was kind of my thought. I could get returned for Boyd before kind of seeing what shakes out of that wide receiver core. That's That's fair. Um, I guess I would be remiss if I didn't say happy birthday, Adam Thielen, right uh, now. Because it's his birthday. He turns he turns 31 today. So happy birthday to Adam Thielen. Um, yeah, I, I guess I get your logic. I think I just feel a little bit differently about Adam Thielen's feeling. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you can pull up whatever wide receiver number he finished last year, and it was probably top 10 because he did have a lot of really big games. But – I don't know. I don't really see it this year. I think he, so, and and my main reason to be betting against Adam Thielen is that his red zone efficiency was like insane, better than like any other wide receiver. He got like the 
his target share in the red zone was extremely high, um, and he caught so many. He had, like, a, a million touchdowns. Not actually. He probably only had, like, 10 or so. But he had a 14. ton of touchdowns, more than you would expect. 14? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that's so many. Yeah, so he had 14 <laughs> touchdowns, um, which obviously propelled him to having, like, a really good season. But I think this year, like, Justin Jefferson is going to take another step forward, um, probably get a little bit more of those red zone targets. I think Irv Smith is going to take another step forward, too. Both of those guys are, like, under 24 years old, so they're going to hopefully progress and and start demanding a little bit more target share, specifically in the red zone. Um, and so if Adam Thielen, like, regresses kind of back to the mean of what you would expect from a wide receiver, if, like, seven touchdowns, he goes from the wide receiver 10 to maybe, like, the wide receiver 20 or 25, which is probably what Tyler Boyd is going to finish as, too. And so I'm, I'm not, like, I don't love Boyd this year. I, I, and it's I kind of have, like, a hesitancy with the Bengals' offense in the sense of we talked about the Joe Mixon trade, like, I, I want to like all of them a lot, um, but I'm also just a little bit hesitant with, like, I don't know, Burrow coming off injury and then Jamar Chase. Um, what if he, like, after not playing last year and having, like, just being a rookie, like, what if he takes a while to heat up? Like, is that going to benefit Boyd and Higgins a lot? And so, I don't know. I guess it's not necessarily a pro-Boyd case. It's probably just an anti-Feeling case. But really, if you if you just take their, like, 2021 projections and you mark – feeling down a little bit he's pretty much just going to become right where Tyler Boyd is and so then it just comes down to age I guess and Tyler Boyd is a couple years younger than Adam Thielen not even that much younger but I don't know I I don't hate it from your perspective I don't hate it from Klein's perspective I guess for Klein he's getting a little bit younger and receiving a similar player so it makes sense for him and for you it makes sense too because sure you I would at least expect Thielen to regress to the mean but what if he doesn't regress, and what if he's just someone who Kirk Cousins loves to throw to in the red zone, and he has 17 touchdowns again this year, you know? Um, in that case, he'd be like, maybe it'll be a top 10, top 15 wide receiver, kind of like you were saying, a, a higher ceiling. So I get it from both your perspectives. I'd probably rather have Boyd, though. Fair. I wasn't super Sweet. passionate about the trade, but I do I do like some deal and exposure. You just made it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I remember I texted you that night. I was like, "Why would you?" I was like, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> I think my exact response was, "Why not?" <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you're trading just like the same player to each other. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so moving on to um, the trade that was made on Wednesday night between you and Bob, which I, you know, I had takes on. I feel like I've, I've given all of my takes, um, <laughs> but uh, Bob gave up DeAndre Swift and the 2.10 in this draft for Nick Chubb. Um, so I'll kind of let you start and talk about um, why you thought it made sense for you and kind of how that trade came about. It's really all your fault um, because <laughs> you sat down, we sat down at Shake Shack, and you were like, why haven't you traded Chubb? And then I said, because I like Chubb. Um, and then you somehow explained that he's the exact same player as Aaron Jones, but you shouldn't tell Aaron Jones. And then I was like, okay, I may as well try and get younger to see. Or I'll see what was out there, at least. So I sent a feeler to Dylan, and Dylan said, you know what? You've given me three times the value I could ever expect, but still no, as he says with every trade offer. Um, <laughs> and then I, I think I then just went to 
to Alec, or not Alec, um, but straight to Bob and was like, you're interested in Chubb, Kyler, or Keenan Allen? Just basically, I knew he was in the Mahomes deal. Keenan's old. Mm-hmm. And then Chubb is also on the older end of running backs. Sure. And then he was like, he's like, only interested in Chubb. Um, what do you want? And I said, I guess Swift and, and something. And then he said, okay, what's the something? And then we just inevitably got to that Swift and Chubb were basically equal, but he would throw in something of minimal value. So I said, okay, a pick. And then he said, okay, my second. And then I said, yes. Okay. So I guess in that process, he said, Trent is also trying to get Swift, but I like Chubb more than he was giving me. So I didn't tamper, let the record show. (laughs) Whatever. Um, okay, so I, I guess I'll stop and say, so did he give you the 2.10? Mm-hmm. Okay, because you – Or 11, 2.11, I think. Because I'm looking at the draft board right now. I'm trying to figure out what pick you would have gotten from him and if that might have gotten lost in the shuffle. I believe because, it was the 2.11, and then I traded that, and then I then got the 9 from Connor. Oh, Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah, because that explains why Polis has the 11, because I gave that to Polis. Yeah, because it looks like Bob picked a 10. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, well, I'm, I trust that you guys figured it out. But, yeah. Anyway, um, so why did you want to sell Nick Chubb then? Um, well, I didn't necessarily just want to, like, fire well, someone. I, mean, I, just, I, I was like, if I could get a return out there. Here's the thing. I don't think my team in its current state, if you take Chubb out and put Swift in, I don't know that my, like, slot in the general consensus power rankings really shifts up or down, you know, by a significant amount. So I think my chance of making playoffs is pretty darn close either way, as long as those guys meet expectations. Um, So I figure, all right, I don't really change my current value of my team. But I also get, like, four years younger at running back to pair with Taylor. And then the picks coming up next year, I can basically complete this little baby rebuild I've done. And I'll be pretty much set to just um, go forward. Yeah, I I think I think I feel pretty similar to you of, like, I don't necessarily think that there's that much difference between Chubb and Swift this year and – Swift is like four years younger. And I think that's part of why I was so confused why Bob would make this trade in the first place, where I don't know if this gives him like that much more upside this season. And yet it gives him so much more downside in the future of, I mean, he already traded two first round picks for Derrick Henry, who, you know, is definitely on the wrong side of like the running back age curve. And now he's trading his other like young running back um, for, another running back who's about to, like, it'll, like I think a year or two younger than Derrick Henry. But, I don't know. It just didn't make too much sense to me, especially when I think DeAndre Swift has a lot more upside than Nick Chubb. Like, if you were going to tell me that one of them finished in the top five running backs this season, I think I would choose Swift over Chubb. Um, like, if I, that, that's just what I would expect. So I think that Swift has the potential to – get like a ton of targets in Detroit where their wide receivers are terrible. So I think Hawkinson and Swift, who now you have both of them, could see combined like 45% target share, maybe 40%. Um, And maybe they're not going to be like that valuable targets, but 
I mean, if Swift is the passing back and the Lions are going to be terrible, then <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a good combination, especially when Goff, like, I don't know. He, he's probably going to be dumping down a lot. He's not going to be throwing to, like, Rashad Perriman 15 times a game. Um, or Terrence, whatever, Tyrell Williams. Yeah, Tyrell Williams. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You've got the Lions sack going. Um, <laughs> and so, and plus, on top of that, I think the Lions, like, they have a pretty abysmal roster, but I think their best like feature is their offensive line, which they sort of mm-hmm. rebuilt over the last couple of years, and they added Penny Sewell in the draft to where most of the rankings I see, not like the best offensive line in the league, but like somewhere in like the 10 to 15 range probably. And so it's a pretty good offensive line. And so if they're going to be able to do the one thing well, like they're probably going to give Swiss the ball a lot. And I think they're going to give Jamal Williams the ball a lot too. Um, I guess the one counter-argument to that is that if they're terrible this year, then they might just say, like, okay, DeAndre Swift is the best player or the best offensive playmaker on our team. Like, we don't want to give him too many miles in this season where we're going to win two games. So we're going to kind of cap his his production, and then, therefore, it'll cap his upside. I could see that, I guess, and that's definitely not going to happen with Nick Chubb. But I don't know. I, I think if I'm Bob and I'm trading Swift, for an older asset, it has to be someone that is going to like raise the ceiling of my team a lot more. Um, and I know that in the offers that I, I guess I hadn't really sent like too many official offers, but I had said that I would work a deal around Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. And once again, I, I mean, it's his team. I'm not going to tell him what he like has to do. I would think that those players would raise his ceiling more this season um, than someone like Nick Chubb would. But, you know, if he likes Nick Chubb more, I guess I can't fault him for it because I don't know because I mean I do think that if Nick Chubb is like a top 10 running back this year and Derrick Henry is probably going to be a top 10 running back this year drafted Najee Harris I don't know I I could see things working out for him but yeah it was kind of annoying that (laughs) that after I had been trying to trade for Swift for a month and Bob just wasn't responding out of nowhere you're like hey I'm trading for Swift and it's like an underpay by my standards I felt like I could have given more and I wasn't even given the chance to offer or counter anything. So anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll be over it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I guess that can, that completes all of the Wednesday trades. Um, and that kind of took us to the keeper deadline. Um, and I don't know, I don't even have the keeper sheet in front of me of what, like who everyone kept. Was there anyone in your mind that, um, like made a bad decision with their keepers. Is there anyone you were like surprised got kept or surprised got cut? Um, I don't know if I'm surprised, but I definitely thought clearly that Jamal Williams is not kept. Um, he he should have <laughs> yeah, been was. kept. I just thought he wasn't because you so took him in like the like, sixth round or seventh yeah, round. Well, he would have definitely well, gone before then. All right, relax. But anyway, like <laughs> so, Cole is like keepers were due on the app, but they didn't ever get published until, like, the draft date was set. It was, like, they, they published uh-huh. an hour before the draft. Mm-hmm. So, what is the point of that? I guess we had to drop all our players, and, like, yeah. I was supposed to go through and, like, check. I just didn't have time to check. Which is, mm-hmm. I, there's, Sounds like, a like main page where you can look at every player, keeper, as if we just set the right. draft date, but it, it's like it's him all in one place, but whatever. That's why I didn't, so I really have no idea who was kept and who wasn't. <laughs> Um, but I, I do think Jamal Williams was a smart keeper. Uh, yeah. I think, 
I think you could make the the bullet should have kept Cole Komet over Goddard and then kept um, uh, Gallup or something. Either one of those yeah. guys over Goddard, you could make the argument. But I don't think anything yeah. else shocked me. Maybe Gustav um, over Gusecki. Hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, do you know who the first, um, the first non-rookie taken was in our draft? Um, I can. Oh, I think I know who it is. Like, it's I pretty shocking. I feel like it's Cole Beasley. No, there's someone before him. Someone before him? Yeah, barely. <laughs> I think it was Xavier Jones. At two point is he not a rookie? No, he. This is his oh, second wow. season because he was on my roster for the last couple months, just in case. Ah, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I huh. think he was like an undrafted rookie, like last season. He like didn't play at all, and then. So but yeah, that's kind of crazy. I guess that means that I made the worst keeper decision because I didn't uh-huh. sell the person who got drafted first. <laughs> yeah, we can get team. to that pick later, but <laughs> I've told you some previews of my thoughts on that pick. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to it. I was just kind of surprised. I was, like, looking at it to see who the – because last year there was, like, I guess uh, Tariq Cullen wasn't kept, and so he was the first non-rookie. And then uh, Brady Cooks wasn't kept, and then he was the second one. And then Debo Samuel wasn't kept, and he was the third one. Um, But this year it was, like, Xavier Jones. What would you say? Did Cooks get kept? No, I'm talking about in our 2020 draft. Like, in 2020 draft. I know, but then, like – yeah, but yeah, Bob kept him. Okay. Yeah. So then in 2021, the first three were Xavier Jones, Cole Beasley, and Naheem Hines. So not exactly the same. Definitely worse yeah. talent available. But anyway, yeah, so keepers, did, we probably did all out of sorts, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, Devont, did Devontae Parker you kept? So I actually was confused by that one because I thought that he did, and I, like, prepped for the draft as though he had gotten kept, but apparently he didn't get kept, and I didn't realize this until Klein drafted him in the, oh, yeah. like, sixth round or something? Yeah, round, yeah. Somewhere. It, I thought I remember him in my, like, literally as I'm running up and down the court, I thought I heard Devontae Parker's name be shouted out, and I was like, oh, I guess that means he meant kept Marvin Jones, but he got them both anyway. Yeah. yeah, so he did keep Marvin Jones, and I guess he cut Monty Parker and then got him back. Nice. That's interesting. I'm all to see all under the radar. Anyway, let's see. Um, yeah, Parker would have been. Um, let's see. Parker would have been my number nine receiver available. So I probably yeah. messed up seeing that because I, I might have taken him sooner. I just didn't realize he was there. I didn't make it well, to six anyway, so. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I had the 3.02 and then the 6.08, so I guess he would have gone in that range. <laughs> um, okay, well, so I guess it's a good thing we didn't do a post-keeper pod because we wouldn't have had very much to talk about. Um, but I guess that kind of brings us to, well, so Thursday morning you made a trade with Jones, and I think now it's time to get into the <laughs> all that went down in the first round of of the draft, yeah. all the trades that happened. The th- you made three separate trades. <laughs> I was <laughs> really wheeling a deal. In. It was a very valuable asset. <laughs> yeah. So you gave. So the very first trade was you gave up the 
the 3.09 and the 5.04. So a first, third, and fifth. And Jones gave up the 1.11, the 2.11, and the 6.04. So basically, Jones moved up three spots from 11 to 8. And then he moved back around from the late second to the late third, but then moved up from the sixth to the fifth. Um, so I would love to know your thoughts on why you made this trade. Because in my opinion, now I'm actually when I got it. In well, now I'm actually box. confused because where did my 2.10 that I got from Bob go? <laughs> if I got 2.11 from Jonesy. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I think Bob just took the, the 2.10 and drafted it anyway. What the frick? All right, we got to figure this out. Sleeper fixes this. For real. <laughs> um, hold on. I'm actually going to type in a group me right now for I forget. <laughs> I was pretty – I literally was prepping for this, and I was like, what in the world? I was like, did Bob just use Tink's pick? I guess this All is right. your punishment for taking 11 players. It's kind of dumb because I would actually have, like, Paris Campbell on my team right now. I mean, now, yeah, probably. 2.10 is, like, a decent pick. That was when Cole, that was right before Cole Beasley went, so you could have taken Cole Beasley. <laughs> yeah, what the frick? All right, we got to get to the bottom of this. We're going to have to have a rules discussion. But um, I – what the I love that you. I love that I told you about this live on the pod. I almost texted you, but I was like, no, I'll ask him on the pod to see if he knows. Yeah, I I did too much wheeling and dealing. I just assumed that you know I'll Bob made the spreadsheet. He should he would have updated. Is it in the spreadsheet, but just not in the? Well, yeah. So it it is in. Well, it's it's confusing because well they already deleted the call. Oh, well, that's terrible. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so so there's one tab that says 2021 draft, and then another that says 2021 draft board. And in the yeah, it shows me at the 2.10. Draft, it shows you at the 2.10. But on the 2021 draft board, well, it makes sense because you probably didn't deserve the 2.10 anyway in the Chubb Swift trade. Uh, well, I guess we can figure this out so, offline. All right, I'll figure it. I know you're yeah. like flustered right now. This is this is a new event for our league. We just forgot a draft pick. I know. Yeah, because I guess well, it doesn't. Yeah. Matter. Also, so, how is it literally on the draft board? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how is it on the twenty-one draft? Because you kept you kept giving up. You kept trading in front of me, and I knew exactly what you were going to do when you get to that. But I was like, you literally are, you traded for like the 2.9 and the 2.10, and you already had the 2.11, knowing that I had the 3.02. I was like, you're literally just gonna triple snipe me before <laughs> before my pick. Um, yeah, but all right, I guess we'll go back. Yeah, so I made this trade because <laughs> the 1.08 was I thought terrible value for who I expected it would be there, and it went the first uh-huh. seven picks went exactly as I expected it to go, at least yeah. as far as like yeah. the seven people that would be gone. So I knew. I'd essentially be choosing between Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Trey Sermon, Michael Carter, Rondale Moore, and Terrence Marshall. I like that was like yeah. basically the five guys that I was like, or six guys that I was like, yeah, I could take any of these guys there and 
uh-huh. be okay about it, but feel like I overpaid <laughs> sure. or overdrafted him. So I was like, I'll move to 11 and pick up a, a pick, a 2.11, and whatever. I don't know. The rest of it just kind of pick swaps and whatever. And I was like, I'll do that, and then I'll just have the decision made for me. I'm comfortable with literally any of those players at 11, but not 8. Um, and sure enough, like, I could have had Rondale or Terrence Marshall um, or Michael Carter. I would have definitely gone Terrence Marshall at 1.11 had I been there. Yeah. Interesting. So, so that's why I did So that. when you traded – so when you traded from 1.08 to 1.0, when you were at 1.08, who did you say that you were going to take? Probably. Probably Elijah. I would probably take Elijah Moore, but it was a, yeah. It was a coin flip the day of between, or like the day I made that trade between Moore and Sermon. Yeah. And when you traded to 1.11, were were you expecting to stay at 1.11? Yeah. When you made the trade. Okay. So what what percent chance would you have given yourself of getting Moore or Sermon? At 1.11. Uh, low. Very low. I, I figured pretty much they – I didn't actually know Klein had 10, and I didn't know for sure. I forgot that Jones had 8 and 9. So once I figured that out, I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way Sermon or Moore makes it to 11. I'll yeah. hope Terrence Marshall makes it through Klein's pick. Mm-hmm. Or even then, like, Klein basically makes my decision for me by either taking Sermon or Marshall there and then – he took Sermon, so then I would have taken Marshall. And if he had taken Marshall, I would have taken Sermon at 11. Yeah. Okay. Well, you didn't end up staying at 11 because two days later on Saturday, this was Saturday morning, probably like two or three hours before the draft was supposed to start, you traded up from 1.11 to 1.05. So uh, you gave up the 1.11, the 2.11, and Cole's 2022 first to move up from the 1.11 to the 1.05. Once again, in my opinion, I don't really know why you did this, um, but I'll, I'd like to hear your rationale. Um, to me, I did it because why not? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I kind of thought Pitts would be there. Pulitz, like – I guess I've been talking to Chris and was like unsure. He couldn't tell me for sure the way the top three, like Chris's three picks would go. Chris mm-hmm. had been telling me all off season it was running back, running back, chase. Um, obviously I was relying on that. I figure worst case scenario, I walk out of that with Javon Williams and I've probably overpaid for it, but I do like Javon. So Javante, whatever. Um, and I mean, I think like, I mean, you and I have been, I feel like, the general consensus on this draft is after like the Rondale Moore, Terrence Marshall tier. I mean, there's just absolute crap after that. Right. So if I could, I mean, like if I could get one of the top set, like basically one of the top seven players after Waddle, that tier pretty much happens. And then the last tier to crap. I was like, if I can get back up there, give up a second and a 2022 first of which I have four already. Who knows if I'll be able to even keep all those rookies next year uh, with our dumb keeper rules. So, but so okay, so when you traded for this pick, you immediately traded it away to Klein, like within the next. Yeah, season. that was. So did you actually yeah. expect to keep this pick when you traded? If for I couldn't, it, or were you just going to? If I couldn't Klein? get the exact value back, then yeah, I I basically was like, hey, can you can you do this offer? Like this is what I would move it for. 
And then uh-huh. he took a little bit. He sent an offer. I didn't like it very much. And then I said, like, this is what I would move it for. If not, I'm going to take pretty much Pitts or, or whoever's there. Um, and he said, yeah, I can do that. Then we had the rules discussion and then so he did it. So it wasn't, I mean, like, I was fine doing it either way because, because Paul has pretty much said that. He's like, I'm not going to do this on the clock. Like, you're going to have to send this to me, like, right now before the draft. Um, right. So I said, all right, and I'll do it. And then I was pretty satisfied with either Javon or Pitts there. But mm-hmm. if I could get the value back and go to six, like, I don't need Pitts. Um, I feel okay about Hawkinson there. And I really kind of settled that I wanted one of the Alabama wide receivers um, at six or seven. Um, if I could pull off the trade. So I kind of got what I wanted there with Smith. It was a weird move all around because you <laughs> you basically facilitated this transaction between Pulitz and Klein. So really all that happened was that Pulitz moved from – he was at five and Klein was at six, and Klein wanted to get to five. But in order for him to do that, he had to – trade with you who traded with Pulitz. I still don't know why Klein didn't just offer this trade to Pulitz because Pulitz moved from 1.05 to 1.11 and he got a second and a first when he could have just moved from 1.05 to 1.06 and gotten a second and a first because that's what you got. I don't really understand. Well, the the way that happened, he lost six picks of value for like no reason. Well, there's no way Pulitz ever pulls off that trade because Pulitz is going to take Pitts if he was there. Or, like, Pulitz wasn't sure who he was going to take. Like, he made it very clear he was, like, between Javant, Smith, and Pitts. So, like, fine, like, had, like, a 33% chance that Pulitz's brain would, like, pick not Pitts there, basically. Mm-hmm. But I made it very clear to Klein that if Pitts was there at five, I was taking Pitts. Um, so then when I got five, Klein had, like, no choice but to – and then I at, at the same time, I set the market price for what it cost to acquire the 1.05. So I could be like, listen, Polish just sold the 1.05 for this. Just pay me that exact price. Uh, so it's kind of galaxy brain move. Kind of. So <laughs> – it's confusing because you made three first you made three trades and I don't know if you ended up in a better or worse spot after making the three trades honestly. So you got let's you gave up the one point oh eight ended up better off. Well, okay, but let's think about it though because you gave up the one point oh eight, the three point oh nine, the five point oh four, and Cole's twenty twenty two first. That's what you gave up. Mm-hmm. And all and you got back the one point oh six the 2.09, the 6.04, and Jay Woods 2023 first. Mm-hmm. So you so you went from eight to six. So you moved up two spots there, and then you moved up a whole round from 3.09 to 2.09. And in order to do that, you gave up Cole's 2022 first, and in return you got Jay Woods 2023 first. So I guess yeah. I guess it's probably a win for you. Uh, I don't know. I, I, so I one of my objectives get... for a long time has been to turn a 2022 first into a 2023 first. Okay. Because I if I take four rookies in that 2022 first round, 
Like, there's no way I can realistically, like, have my team in a spot where I can just lose four keepers without a ton of trading, which is a big question mark. But now I can just kind of put that 2023 and kind of just be better set off. Okay. Um, and I and I didn't – I feel like Jay Wood in 2023 or 2022 season will be not as good. The team's going to be old. And I'll have no picks. And I wanted to move up into that first tier of players. So, Yeah, but what about Cole in 2020? Like, this coming season, where's Cole in your power rankings? I mean, he's not Roughly. a playoff team. He's, uh, he could be a play- I mean, I think he's bubble. I think he's like me. I think he's bubble. So, I basically was like, I'll probably, like, me and Cole's pick probably end up coming close to each other. I'll keep mine. I can control my own destiny. And, like, Trade away pieces. Cole's pretty intent on competing this year. I can control my own pick, so I decided. I gave Bullets the offer to take mine instead, and he said, no, yours is going to be late. And I said, okay. And I gave him Cole's. Yeah. And I was like, Cole's will be for sure mid, and he was like, you're so right. And then he took it. <laughs> I think Cole's is going to be early. I'll say it. Mm-hmm. Do you really think he's going to be a mid team? I can think of, like, nine teams that are better than him. I mean – uh, I think it's close. I can't definitively say anything. I think he's in a tier, and I think if things go his well, way, he'll, definitively he'll say, be in the middle. I'm going to definitively say things, because that's what I do on this podcast. I'm not going to The thing that up. Cole has is he's done this offseason is he's traded wide receivers for running backs, and that is the key to get Trent to absolutely hate your team. <laughs> well, I just don't understand. He went from – okay, well, I, we're, no, we're going to get to that. Later. Also, this is a Cole who's been trend. like anti running back forever. Like he has always been like, I refuse to trade for a running back. They can vary so much year to year. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And he's absolutely going back on that. All he uh, I, he traded Devonte Adams for he tra- traded Devonte Adams and third round pick for Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, and Chase Edmonds. Uh-huh. That's great. He should have gotten a switch. And out he, of got Cole or he got Cole Beasley, oh, too. He got Cole Beasley, too. He got the third. The best asset in that anyway. deal? Anyway, so I don't know. That's that's a discussion for our next podcast, probably, when we're going to go through power rankings post-draft and post all of these trades. But I think Cole's 2022 first is, like, going to be top five or six. And so I think that he's going to – that's, like, a one that you would want to hold on to. And yeah. Jay Wood in 2023, like I don't, as long as he's CMC and Saquon, like he's he's going to be one of the better teams in the league. Like I I just don't see at this How time next year. I think I'm going to be. It doesn't matter at this time next year. I'm going to be more optimistic about Jay Wood's chances in 2023 than I am about Cole's chances right now. And he moved up two spots for it too. I mean, yeah, the I difference like between Elijah Moore and. The difference between Elijah Moore and, and Devontae Smith, I don't know if it's, like, that wide. I mean, I wouldn't say I clearly lost it. I wouldn't say I clearly won. I mean, there's so much future value. You did a lot. Right now, it's hard to – yeah, I did a lot. You did a lot of fun. <laughs> Just so much it's fun. Like hard to even wrap your head around. Uh, okay, yeah. well, I guess I had all of the uh, – <laughs> that really is all that matters is that you had fun and you made three trades and now we don't really know even what happened in any of them. But this is one of them was the best one was definitely you giving up 
the 1.05 to move back one spot, and you gained, sorry, you gained a, an extra first and a second to move back one spot from Klein. That was your best one by far. I agree. But I don't know if moving up, I don't know if giving up Cole's 2022 first to trade up like six spots. I don't know. But I guess eh, it doesn't matter. Um, I anyway, pretty much the so, general consensus on what it costs to move up, so I felt okay. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so that kind of takes us to the very start of the draft. Um, actually, no, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. Um, mm-hmm. What is your take on the fact that you and Klein's trade was the 1.05? Klein gave you Jay Wood's 2023 first, which Klein Allegedly. didn't even have yet. Yeah, which Klein didn't even have yet because he had to wait for that trade to process on the Chris Carson one. So technically, what we've been saying about you like made a trade with an asset that like Klein didn't actually have. What what is your take on that? <laughs> Do you have here's, here's here's my response to everyone in the league who wants to do things under the table. Don't tell everyone that you've done an under the table deal. I feel like everyone had independent knowledge that this deal had gone down. So it was like the Logan Thomas one and the the Carson one. Uh-huh. When I did it with Jay Wood, I think like only you knew, and then Jay Wood and I knew, and that was it. And people forget okay, that I was the original sketchy trade. I think it's fine. Yeah, I don't okay, see there's a, a difference though. There's a difference though between what Jay Wood did and what you did because Jay Wood. Correct. Came to an agreement with with Klein and was like, "Hey, I'm going to give you my first for Chris Carson after the draft." Correct. But they didn't execute the trade at all until after the draft, and nothing really changed. But Klein then took an asset that he because what because after the draft, Jay Wood could have technically said like, "Nah, actually, like, I don't really want to do this trade anymore. Like, I think I'd rather have my first than Chris Carson." And like, it's not like they signed anywhere. So what would have happened then? Because then Klein wouldn't have been able to give you the 2023 first that your deal was, like, predicated upon. Yeah, I mean, that's the risk. And you already, for sure. you had already executed it and made the decisions. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. That's definitely the risk. I mean, I think it helps that we all know each other and we can just be, like, absolutely go off on someone. And, and then no one would probably trade with that person in the future if, like, if I was like, hey, we had this agreement and he failed. Everyone's going to be like, "Oh, this guy could just fail on this trade at any time now." I mean, I don't, really, um, I don't really care. I don't like care that much, but I do think that this is something that we need to like discuss as a league because that is technically different. Like what Jay Wood did with Klein is different than what you and Klein it was. And Correct. so I think we're uh, in the. I think Klein and I at, trade is in the gray area. Jay Wood is probably fine, and that thing yeah, you Jay mentioned the other day, where like if. If, like, in that Julio Jones trade, like, that trade, like, if you included a pick that still wouldn't have been, like, is yeah. able to process, like, that is the the no zone. Right. And then I'm – that's Klein's trade, gray area, and Joe, Joe was probably fine. That's kind of how I stand yeah. on it. However we write the rule up, I'm probably fine either way. So, um, when you originally – One when thing I think is the keepers trade. When you originally mm-hmm. made the trade with Klein, my assumption was that – Klein was giving you his 2023 first. And so that's yes. when he was like, it takes to be determined. I was like, oh, like, I don't really, I was like, I don't really care that much because 
they just are going to wait until after the trade to, like, give the first. Like, that's not a big deal. But if I had known that it was Jay Woods 2023 first, I'd be like, well, I don't know. Because then you're relying on, like, uh, if during the draft Chris Carson had, like, torn his ACL, like, does Jay Wood have, like, a fiduciary duty decline to, like, accept the trade anyway? Like, I I don't think so, you know, because if, if they're disagreeing in principle to it. But then you've already drafted from the six spot and Klein already drafted from the five. And so, I don't know. Apparently now you can just make a trade and not even involve the trade you explicitly were allowed to make. So, I don't know. Is the league falling uh, apart? Do we need to go to sleeper? I think it's falling apart, yeah. We gotta do. We gotta figure something out. <laughs> okay. Well, so that was also on, on tan, tangential to that. My uh-huh. favorite thing is that Bob will do absolutely zero research, have no idea who is on any one league. But if like a niche like rule discussion comes up, Bob is the <laughs> most passionate person arguing. Like, where did this passion come from, and why do you not care at all about who the players that are on the team? So <laughs> a good point. I don't know. I kind of liked Bob's draft, though. We'll get to that with my draft grades. But I was like, when I was going into his draft grades, and I was like thinking about what I was going to give him, I was kind of expecting to give him a low grade. But for someone who didn't prepare, I think he did a pretty good job. But anyway, we'll get there. Uh, Okay, so the next thing we kind of want to do is go through the entire first round and talk about really just each pick and each decision that was made. Um, And we won't do this for like every round, but we do kind of want to go through the first 12 picks. absent of like all the trades and then we'll kind of discuss the rest of the trades and then give draft grades but first overall pick um from bob via josh um was Najee harris so tink what is your thoughts on Najee harris 1.01 good decision bad decision what's your outlook for him in 2021 and beyond well one draft would have been way more fun if he had taken chase there or Pitts. That would have been chaos. But, I mean, I'm slowly getting higher on Neji. I love him in redraft. Like, I think he's going to get so many touches, and I think he's pretty good. I think long-term prospects, I don't know. Also, the O-line sucks. I don't know. I feel like we've talked about Neji so much. He was, like, both the clear 1.01, but also you kind of wish that he was more of, like, a Saquon-type talent, I guess. Um, So... It made sense, especially given the injuries and trades Bob made. Theoretically, he can come into next season if Henry and Chubb fall off and feel okay about Najee and and Akers, if Akers has an Achilles by then, um, and Moss and feel okay about it, I guess. Um, but I think yeah, I agree that Chase is probably the better like generational-type talent and pits, at least at their positions, uh, compared yeah. to Najee. Yeah, it's an interesting spot because I I think it he's definitely the consensus 1.01, and that's, like, the right – like, if you have the first overall pick, you should be taking Najee Harris. But mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like anyone, like, wanted – I don't I can't speak for Bob. I don't know how much, like, interest there was in the 1.01, whereas, like, the 1.03 and 1.04, like, everyone wanted those because that meant, like, you could get pits or you could get, like – I don't know, ETN or Chase or the people that guys were excited about, whereas mm. the 1.01, everyone was like, well, I don't really want Najee that bad, so I don't want to pay the 1.01 price. I would rather pay the 1.02 price than take Chase. Um, I don't know. But I yeah, I, I agree. I think it would have been really interesting if Bob had taken 
um, Pitts for Chase. If it was me and I had that pick, uh, I don't know. I, I'd probably take Najee, honestly, just because, like you said, the guaranteed touches, he's going to be like a really good running back in 2021. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just sort of traded it to like pick two or pick three. But even at that point, it's like, Someone could have taken, like, if Klein had the number one overall pick, like, he probably just would have taken Pitts, and I don't even think that'd be a bad decision. Um, yeah. There's so much, like, it, like, in 10 years, are we going to be like, well, Bob, like, he missed out on Pitts, but, like, Najee was the right choice at 101. Like, I don't think that's really going to be a, or, like, if we're not going to say, like, man, like, I can't believe Bob took Pitts at 1.01 if Pitts ends up being, like, a generational tight end. Like, it's, ADP, yeah. like, doesn't really matter. And that's something that I kind of, like, I think I read an article or it was on, like, a podcast I was listening to of, like, we get so anchored by, like, ADP when, like, and we don't want to reach by, like, too much. But really, like, the difference between, like, like, if you have the an early second-round pick and you want to take someone that's supposed to go into late second, like, you don't even consider it sometimes because of ADP. But really, like, when you look back on it, like, you just want the, the best available player. It's like, who, who really cares? So... I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to look back on this draft. I mean, I think all of them are going to be interesting to look back on. But this one specifically, of it seems like there is consensus among our league and among football fans and dynasty players that, like, Najee probably isn't a generational running back like a Saquon or anyone else, and that Chase and Pitts might be. But it seems like everyone is taking <laughs> Najee number one anyway. So, I don't know. I'm interested to see five years, like, how we look back on, on that decision. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Najee will even be in the league in, like, seven years, I'm sure. Like yeah, 29. he'll be 40 at that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's so freaking old for a rookie, but. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fun. Okay, yeah, we'll see. So, moving on to Chris, he had the second, third, and fourth picks. So, we'll go one at a time. Jamar Chase, number two overall. Uh, I guess I'll give my take on Jamar Chase first um, because I kind of told you this, I think, last night, that over the last week I've become a lot more cold on Jamar Chase than I was in prior years or prior years, in prior weeks. Um, and I don't know. I think it, it kind of goes back to the Joe Mixon conversation we had the other night of, like, I think I just had sort of assumed that all of the Bengals receivers were going to be really good and that Burrow – wasn't going to be that good, but there's kind of a disconnect there. And so still kind of like working through like how I like really feel about the Cincinnati offense, but I don't know. I just, I don't like Chase at his current ADP. And this is, I guess this is more of like a redraft take, but Jamar Chase is going in like the third round of 12 team leagues. I think that's insane. Just given that. And I, I think there's just anchoring bias of, you know, last year, Jefferson and CD and Claypool all were being drafted too late in redraft and honestly in, in dynasty as well. And they all like smashed as rookies and now they're like top dynasty picks and they're top redraft picks too. And so now it's kind of pushed the ADPs of Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith. Like they're all being drafted higher in redraft now than those guys were last year. Um, when maybe the guys last year were just an exception and these guys should be going where the guys last year went, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know, Jamar Chase yeah. didn't play football last year, right? He got out at LSU. Right. So, yeah. And so now he's going into an offense with a bunch of other weapons and a bad offensive line and a quarterback coming off of surgery. Like, I don't know if I can really expect 
Jamar Chase to return on his third round redraft ADP. Um, in fact, I, I definitely expect that he will not do that. Um, but this is also not in a dynasty sense. Like we're not just focused on redraft ADP. It's we, we're looking to the years beyond. And so because of that, it's still like a fine dynasty pick. But I guess my point is if Jamar Chase disappoints by like redraft standards and he finishes as like, I don't know, the number 25 to 30 wide receiver, it would be looked at as a massive disappointment. And I think his dynasty value is going to be a lot less than it is right now. And so I'm kind of thinking of like, I don't know, you want to you want to get invested in guys at the right time. I just don't know if Jamar Chase is going to be, like, someone who's going to appreciate and value at all over the next year. Maybe he's a good long-term hold, and in three or four years, he'll just, like, be a top wide receiver anyway. But I don't know. I, and maybe I'm just talking myself out of it. But I'm not sure how I feel about Jamar Chase anymore. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think you're too, too stuck on the, the redraft ADP aspect. I think it – I mean, there's, it's a clear choice there, too. I mean, look at, like, I mean, last year was probably the exception, but the year before, like, D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown had very mundane seasons um, and really didn't even get a ton of snaps until, like, halfway through. I think Metcalf had more, but A.J. was getting, like, 50% snaps um, until, like, week 8 or 10 or something like that. And then all of a sudden he had, like, three good games in that season, and then all of a sudden, the next season, he's a top 10 dynasty asset. So I think he's perfect for Chris's team. And it doesn't matter really. I mean, if you're a wide receiver in, like, your first or second year, your dynasty ranking or, like, consensus can go from straight-up wide receiver 57 to wide receiver 3 if you're, like, 23 and have six straight games. Like, people will just overreact. Um so I think Jamar Chase is certainly capable of doing that, putting together like six straight pretty solid games. And also the nice thing about wide receivers in Dynasty is you can pretty quickly tell when to cut bait um, like on them. I think usually if they haven't like done much by year two or three, unless you can like say like, oh, they're just stuck behind like the Robert Woods cup type people of the world where they just got extensions after you think they wouldn't. Like, you're pretty much set and be like, all right, they're, they busted. I can move on. Um, and, I mean, we figured out Rager was a bust, and immediately he was gone. So, he yeah, was probably going to know somewhat soon. But Like, so if you look at the guys last year, though, like, just the, the first couple receivers drafted that were rookies, the first one was Jerry Judy, who probably disappointed – by his redraft still, compared to his he's redraft, still probably ADP. worth a mid first, I would guess. Yeah, but he's definitely he worth less than he was last year. You know, like before, yeah. like he his value that he had as a rookie, he disappointed compared to redraft ADP in his rookie season, and now he's not worth as much. CD Lamb, yeah. the opposite happened. He outperformed his ADP, and now he is worth more than he was, even though he was the number two rookie wide receiver last year. Um, Henry Ruggs disappointed compared to redraft ADP. Now his value is less. Jalen Rager disappointed. Now his value is left less. Uh, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, and Brandon Ayuk, all of them outperformed their ADP by like varying levels. Some of them Jefferson like pretty significant um, in redraft, and then now they're being viewed as like a lot higher in dynasty yeah. value, et cetera. So 
and, and maybe and maybe your point is that those guys are all either over or undervalued because we're putting too much emphasis on the first year. I mean, I know you think that CD is overvalued and, and maybe that Jefferson and Ayuk and Higgins are too. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I just think that if you're going to disappoint your redraft ADP, like if you're not going to live up to your redraft ADP, then your value is going to be a lot less than it is right now. That's just kind of what we see last year. And I haven't been playing for Dynasty long enough to like really know the trends going back other years. But that's just kind of how I'm thinking of like, if I'm taking a rookie, I want him to outperform what his redraft ADP is or his value is going to kind of plummet. And so, I don't know, maybe this is a message to us to go try to acquire Judy and, and Ruggs and Rager and sell Jefferson and Ayuk and Higgins. But I don't know. I don't, that's just kind of how I'm thinking about it. I, I just don't know how I feel about Chase for this year. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. For this year, I tend to agree. For the long term, I'm pretty sold on him being elite wide receiver. Yeah. So maybe the move, maybe the move is at the end of this season, you just trade for Jamar Chase after he has a disappointing rookie year. Yeah, I feel like anyone other than Chris, that would make sense. I feel like Chris is so set on like his his like five term plan, five year plan right now. Yeah. So, like he's yeah. going to be very set on all of his players at like a locked in value, and if he can get that yeah. return, he'll sell, and if not, he'll hold. Maybe I mean I could see a scenario where uh, AJ Brown and CD Lamb are like top five wide receivers going into twenty twenty two, I guess, and Pitts is the top five tight end, and then maybe he's like, yeah. I'll also chase for a running back that has high value. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're getting too galaxy brain into the future here, but um, I, okay, the 1.03, also Chris, um, Kyle Pitts. I know we've talked about him. I, I guess we've talked about like the idea of him over the last couple pods and how we think like he could be generational, but what is your like, real kind of honest take on Kyle Pitts, the player in 2021 and beyond. I feel like it. It so much depends on how he's utilized. Like, is he going to be a Taysom Hill like mischaracterized player, like where he's just straight up a wide receiver lining up in the slot and out wide, but he counts as a tight end because every once in a while he'll chip a defensive end on the O line. Like, and I feel like he's not going to be a Hawkinson type, like a Kittle type. Um, even like Kelsey, pretty darn good at blocking. Like that dude is straight up a oversized wide receiver with elite metrics everywhere. But they didn't really know where to put him, so they put him at tight end. I don't know how that's going to look in the NFL, but I think regardless, he will catch a ton of passes um, and be very, very good. So yeah. I don't know if he if they use him as just a straight up wide receiver and he is like always on the field with Hayden Hurst and Hayden Hurst does the blocking but he gets to keep his tight end little like moniker. I think he's going to be amazing and it's going to be like busted. But yeah, I think, so I mean I would have loved to have him five, but yeah, I think it's really easy to get like caught up in the hype of Kyle Pitts just because he is like you said, like unlike any other tight end that is at least like elite right now in the NFL, like there are other athletic tight ends, but none really that have the straight set Kyle Pitts has. And so in theory, like if you're creating a player in Madden that you like want, like you would kind of create someone like Kyle Pitts that's like massive and, and fast and strong and like an amazing red zone target. So it does all make sense in theory. I don't know. I, I want to like, I'm trying to like think of a 
but but I can't really think of anything. Like I just think he's going to be good. I don't really see how he's not good. What is the and I, maybe you tell me what is like the the scenario where he isn't where he doesn't return value on his ADP. Um, I mean the way he doesn't return value on his ADP is if they try to like force him into the Hawkinson type. Kittle type tight end role where he has to learn the fundamentals of like blocking and blocking schemes and he just doesn't adapt to the playbook that quickly. Yeah. Um, I think that's the main way because like today the tight end is one of the hardest positions the NFL will learn. But if they keep him at wide receiver, I don't see, or like glorified wide receiver, sometimes he's lining up a tight end. He's never responsible for blocking. I, I could see him having like a Justin Jefferson type rookie year at the tight end position. Yeah. What do you think his oh, – well, how many touchdowns do you think he scores this year? I can do like, game. I mean, I have no basis, but I would guess <laughs> – I would. I mean, like, probably like eight-ish, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of think so, too. So he's a – I know everyone wants to hear me talk about my uh, sports betting, but I was looking the other day, and it's seven. It's his over-under for touchdowns. I nailed like, that. under. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah. But I took over seven, and I I feel like it's a pretty good value because I think I don't know, but no Julio, they're gonna. I don't even know. Like, like Calvin Ridley's probably gonna be great, but I don't know. I'm kind of out on Russell Gage. Maybe they run in the red zone a lot, but he's just massive. Like I feel like he's gonna catch. He could like be bad and catch seven touchdowns. You know, like I, yeah. I and I, I think really depends on there's downside there, but. I don't know. Yeah, it just depends on the Falcons. How often will they even be in the red zone? I feel like they're so content yeah. on kicking 50 yarders. Like every single time I watch the last season, be on the five yard line and then get two straight holdings and then like a <laughs> personal foul and be on the 50. And like, how does that happen? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's go next. 1.04 Travis Etienne. Do you have strong I mean, good, here? I I like him over Javante. Um, okay. That was pretty much my only take. I think he's more high variance, but I like him long term to be, like I said, like top ten in his position or whatever. Yeah, so I don't know how uh, how onto a, a dynasty like Twitter you are or like fantasy football Twitter or I, I know you do Reddit a lot is your main uh, news Reddit source there, Twitter. but yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, but Etienne is like the most polarizing rookie, I think, because. Everyone who is, like, an analytics person and, like, looks at things through that lens think that he's going to be amazing because he had, like, a ton of explosive plays at Clemson and they like his receiving upside, blah, blah, blah. But then everyone who is a, quote, unquote, film grinder and, like, looks at his fundamentals and, like, coaches and stuff think that he is a, like, less talented running back even than James Robinson. And they don't think that he's going to see – they don't think that he can like read the holes correctly, and he makes wrong decisions, and it's like not going to work in the NFL. Um, I don't know if I've seen like a lot of pro ETN takes and a lot of anti ETN takes uh, from people that I like normally res- like trust and respect their opinion on things. I've seen it's like there's a pretty big dichotomy. I don't know. Have, is that on Reddit too? Have you seen that or no? Not as much. Um, it's basically just like concerns over his usage. I think everyone like expects him to be able to learn and, um, they believe in the talent. 
especially the cash, yeah. the cash passing capability. But I think it's just like how will he be used? Yeah, I mean, so the obviously there were the reports right after, uh, kind of right after they were drafted that Urban Meyer was like he's only going to run wide receiver routes in training camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess like the thought there is that they want to make him a better pass catcher, which is great for fantasy. Like if he's going to if he's going to like really reach that like legendary upside potential, then then yeah, he's going to have to uh, catch some passes. So that's good. Um, but also, I mean, he's with Urban Meyer, who maybe hasn't made like the wisest decisions necessarily in his tenure so far. Um, and he does have James Robinson, who undrafted, yes, and drafted by a different regime. But um, I don't know. There's like competition there, and so I don't know. I can kind of see both cases for ETN, and because of that, I think I'm I'm like pretty much going to stay away and redraft him. And, and obviously, in Dynasty is my only league, but like not that excited about him. But nothing really would surprise me there. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, number five, Javante Williams. Um, I have no takes on Javante Williams at all. I'm takes out on Javante. Do you have anything? I mean, another guy like um, actually coming in before the NFL draft, I honestly kind of liked Gainwell over Javante um, as just like a prospect. But I think landing spot helped him a ton. Everyone immediately realized they – because by drafting him, they had no plans to keep Melvin Gordon around after this year. So, yeah. I mean, reports out of camp are pretty solid. I mean, I think he'll be pretty good. Um, I think he makes sense at yeah. five, if you, especially if you need a running back and Klein did. Yeah. I know we've talked about it um, on other podcasts, just Melvin Gordon and the role that he's going to play. I think for the first half of this season, and honestly, maybe even the whole season, I think he's kind of – I think he's going to definitely command, like, touches, because I don't think Melvin Gordon is bad by any means. Like, he actually played decently well last season um, when he got the chance. Um, now, there's a chance that Javante is so good that Denver, like, can't keep him off the field, but I don't know. I think Javante had a really bad drop last night in their preseason game. I think if he does stuff like that or if he's, like, missing blocks, I think they're just going to go with Melvin Gordon, at, at least over this first year. Now, Mm-hmm. Um, Klein might not be like I don't know if Klein would tell you he's probably not contending this year necessarily and so maybe that is like in Klein's best interest for him to see the field and like enough to get excited in the next season when Gordon is gone he'll be like a second round redraft running back like maybe that is the the right I guess path forward but I think for Klein if you're if you're looking at Javante you're probably not expecting him to be like great this season but you want him to be really good in flashes and then just hope that Melvin Gordon is gone and they don't bring in someone else that will steal touches. Yeah. Yeah. Which they might. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they really might. Uh, but they also they might have Aaron Rodgers next year in Denver. So, who knows? True. Uh, next up is Devontae Smith, 1.06. This is your pick. Um, I'll, let you, I'll let you take it away here. This is your selection. I mean – I'm pretty excited about him. I really like him as a prospect. I'm not super worried about the size. I think he looks pretty freaking good on these routes he's running, getting just absolutely wide open. I think the Eagles are going to be throwing a lot. And I think his competition for targets doesn't scare me. I forget Quez Watkins or whatever doesn't scare me at all. Travis Fulgham doesn't scare me. Rager 
does not scare me. Goddard and Ertz, eh. Um, so I like him. I like Hertz. I think um, they have – I think they played together at least a little bit. No, maybe – I forget. Maybe it was Waddle and him that played together. But yeah. I don't know. To me, he was a clear wide receiver, too, um, in this draft. And to get him at six um, felt pretty good. Uh, so that was really my thoughts. Um, I was pretty happy moving from five to six and still being able to pick up Smith. Fair. Yeah, I I think I like Devonta Smith too. Um, yeah, he was so good last last year at Alabama. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, with all of these things, it's hard. I like. I'm not going to pretend to be like a pro talent evaluator here and so I'm kind of just regurgitating information that I like to see from different people but it seems like everyone thinks that he's going to be good obviously size is going to be a concern for some people but I know there's been I've seen a lot of research done this offseason about how those smaller wide receivers aren't necessarily more susceptible to injury and it doesn't necessarily correlate that well with like even red zone targets or, or red zone success or anything like that and so mm-hmm. his size doesn't really concern me either um I guess, like, maybe the dysfunction in the organization might. Like, if – Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, if Jalen Hurts – Jalen Hurts scares people away from the Bengals, though, so. Yeah, I mean, fair. But Jalen Hurts could be, like, a bad quarterback still. Like, I yeah. like Jalen Hurts a lot in fantasy this year, especially yeah. if they don't find Deshaun Watson, which, I mean, who knows? But, um, but also, I think the reason I like him in fantasy is because I think he's going to run a lot. And so – one, him running is going to, like, take away from, obviously, passing attempts. But, two, like, he's not that good of a passer, and the Eagles are kind of back to the drawing board. And I don't know. I, I still don't think it's enough. I'm kind of grasping at straws. Like, I don't think it's enough to prevent me from taking him at six. But it definitely would have been enough for me to, to prevent me from taking him at, like, one through five. So, yeah, I think he was always going to go at six, no matter who had the pick. So, yeah, I think I liked him, and he was also the best available. So, I just – yeah. Easy, easy combo. Um, next up, one point oh seven, Jalen Waddle. Um, man, uh, I'm trying to think. Cause we're at an hour and a half right now. I don't want to go. <laughs> okay, we can do it. We can do this. Jalen Waddle. Um, I think it's I another know. best available. Any like them? Yeah, yeah. I think there's like a tier break after Waddle, right? And everything that mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Moore and Bateman and Rondale Moore probably in a group together. Um, so, so I like the pick at seven, but this is also a pick where, like, if I had the seven spot, I probably would have traded back or traded up because I, I don't know. I just don't don't see it with Waddle. That's still, I don't really know why. I'm, like, not basing my – I'm not basing that off of anything, so it sounds ridiculous when I say it, but the two has been good in pre – he's been really good in preseason. Um, seems to have really taken a step forward, and so mm-hmm. – if that is true, then maybe Waddle will will kind of take over. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself into Waddle right now. But I mean, that is yeah, truly why I ended up. Yeah, that's why I ended up trading up because I like got myself on board a lot with Smith and Waddle. Yeah, and was like, I want a piece of one of those players, um, and I really liked kind of the QB situation. Yeah, because Waddle is like pretty cheap, like especially in redraft. Like, I don't yeah. know, like he's going way behind Chase, and it's, even it's like wild. Two or three rounds behind Devonta Smith too. Um, 
I think the Dolphins like could be a pretty decent offense this year. Like if Tua really has taken that step forward and there's mm-hmm. no one really that would scare me for targets from from Miami. Like I guess Will Fuller's there, Dante Parker's there, Gasecki's there. Gusecki. So I mean maybe there's just gonna be too many mouths to feed in that offense for him to be like a consistent producer, but I don't know. I I think if Waddle if like the talent is there and he is a star then his situation is not going to prevent him from reaching his ceiling, I guess is the way that I would phrase it. Whereas some guys, like, even if they're good, like, it doesn't matter because their situation is just that bad that, like, like Jerry Judy last year, like, I, I think Judy's, like, really good, but <laughs> Drew Locke was so bad that it prevented him from, like, living up to his ADP. Um, and maybe he'll be better with Teddy, who knows. But, like, I don't necessarily see that happening with Jalen Waddle. Like, I think Miami is going to be competent enough to where if he fails, it's probably a Waddle issue and not a situation issue. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Uh, let's go Elijah Moore at, at 1.08. So you have the 1.08 literally all off season and all off season, you have been telling me about Elijah Moore and how you were definitely going to take him <laughs> because everyone on Reddit loves him and he like tested amazing and I don't even know. I I never really got on board with the hype. I guess in the couple the last couple weeks, I've like started seeing it more myself. Like he's had a really good training camp and has been good in a couple preseason games. Um, and so I'm not surprised that Jones, who already owns. Darnell Mooney and Brandon Ayuk and Gabe, basically everyone that like Dynasty Twitter loves is on Jones' team. And so for him to take mm-hmm. Elijah Moore is like, like literally the perfect fit. Um, he just needs to trade for Lewis Gishnault and then he'll literally have the whole Dynasty Twitter hype team. But regardless, um, I still don't know. I don't even know that much about Elijah Moore, honestly. So I'll let you as you've been convincing me over the last multiple months that he's going to be the next Antonio Brown, I'll let you go ahead and make the case in the podcast now. I mean, I, as far as like, I guess his measurables, like, like you said, like all of this tests and everything, just check out that he's going to be pretty solid, like breakout age and all those dynasty calculators used to like figure out if they're going to be good or not. They're all pretty good. They're all like better than AJ Brown, like that Metcalf level of, um, the stud, um, his draft capital. Uh, people were like coming at like saying he's not as good as Bateman because Bateman's draft capital is better. They were like nine picks apart or something. Like I don't really understand that argument. Um, and I like the Jets to be one losing more, so therefore throwing more, and then the Ravens are going to be running more and winning more um, than yeah. the Jets. Makes sense. So I think. That was a reasoning for Moore being so high. And also, like, I think truly you can make the case between Moore, like I said earlier, Moore, Bateman, Moore, Moore again, and then Marshall. Like, it just, you can take any one of those guys. And I think at 1.8108, and you can be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like you said earlier, like, if you have the 1.08, but you think you're reaching, like, you still get your favorite guy just because he's projected as like the no one. You look out of 2.01, you take your guy at 1.08 there. Um, so I think it makes sense. I'm not surprised Jones did more given the hype. And he hasn't hurt, though, so I think his hype train has been a little bit yeah. uh, mellow recently. So has Bateman. So. Yeah, well, I mean, he got both of them because he also had the next pick, and then he ended up taking Bateman. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he won his pick. pick. You're 
you want to take two receivers, the really the guy he and he got Terrace Marshall too at the beginning of the second. So really, the only one he didn't get out of that tier was Rondell yeah. Moore, who I think is my favorite of the four. And we can get there whenever we talk about that one. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really have too much of a take on Elijah Moore. I think a lot of his success is going to be tied to Zach Wilson um, and the rapport that they develop and. I don't know, because that's, I mean, he'll probably be the number one target right out the gate in New York. Um, I mean, maybe Corey Davis, Corey Davis is there, right? Yes. Yeah. And, so uh, I've heard some good stuff out of Jalen Cole. Thing, um, about yeah. Corey Davis. So I don't know. We'll see. But I think this is another one where his situation is fine and the measurables are there. So we'll see pretty fast if he's going to be. I mean, who knows? Maybe he will be the number one wide receiver out of this class, like some people are predicting. But, um, yeah, I think at 1.8, it's probably the right pick. Um, which brings us to 1.9, guy in a similar tier that you were just saying, Rashad Bateman. Um, I don't know. This is a tough one because, one, and it really comes down to, I think, the fact that he's going to be tied to Lamar Jackson for the next, I mean, I don't know how long first-round rookie wide receiver contracts are, like four or five years probably. He's going to be tied with Lamar Jackson, um, which is probably a good thing, maybe, um, in the sense of, like, Lamar is obviously a very good NFL quarterback. I don't know how good of a fantasy QB he is if you have those wide receivers, just given the fact that they don't pass very much, like you just said. Like, they run it a ton, so it limits their possessions. And they're also winning a lot, so they pass even less. Um, but, in, but, so that is off of, like, the last two years of Lamar running this offense. But they have, like, kind of indicated, like, I mean, a team is going to tell you what they want to do by their transactions and what they actually do in the offseason. So the fact that they went out and drafted Rashad Bateman and then signed Sammy Watkins, and they drafted Hollywood Brown, like, last year. Like, I think they're they're kind of signaling they do want to have a more competent passing offense. Now, will that lead to them actually throwing it more? I guess it remains to be seen. I kind of think that they will throw it more, and I think they're going to be more effective, like, throwing it. Um, a lot of that is on Greg Roman, too. Like, can he scheme? He's obviously been able to scheme up an incredible running game, but can he scheme up a great passing game? Because in the playoffs, like, the last couple of years, I mean, two years ago against the Titans, that was kind of a fluky game when they had, like, four turnovers that, including failed fourth downs, but that they normally were converting. And then last season they beat the Titans and then lost to the Bills because they couldn't really do anything on offense, but the weather was bad. So, I don't know. I, I think the, the Ravens probably believe that in order to make the Super Bowl out of the AFC, they're going to have to have a more competent passing offense. And because of that, that's why they're kind of investing so many resources in their passing game. And so, like, given that train of thought, Rashad, Rashad Bateman is someone that I would want to, like, buy into. But at the same time, the volume is going to probably be limited. Even if they do increase their passing volume, it's probably going to be limited. Plus the fact that they have Mark Andrews and um, Hollywood Brown is there, too. They did sign Sammy Watkins. Obviously, Lamar is going to run a lot. Dobbins is going to run a lot. They re-signed Gus Edwards, so they, you know they're going to give him touches as well. So I don't know. And, and that is just like a one-year take of next year. They might reshuffle the deck, and then who knows what they're going to do. But 
betting on Bateman is really betting on the Ravens passing offense with Lamar. And I think there's uncertainty there, which is probably why he's fallen to like the late half of the first. And I think there's enough uncertainty for me to lean towards Rondale Moore and probably not Terrace Marshall, but maybe. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my take. Where are you at on Bateman? I like, I had it pretty much the way Jones had it. Um, with more Bateman, uh, Marshall. I don't really know where Rondale Moore fit into his kind of evaluation. Um, but I think like of this tier, I had more than Sermon, than Bateman, than Marshall, than Ter- than other more, and then Carter. Basically, I just didn't, I mean, I, it's funny that you like Rondale the most, um, cause I like him the least in this tier, but. <laughs> He just felt like the way he was u- being used was like Tavon Austin like, and I didn't like the the end around kind of gadget type use that I was seeing. It's, whereas like Debo Samuel, it's the reason that yeah. I love Debo Samuel and you hate Debo. It's the exact same thing. Yep, exactly. And I like the guys who can move around anywhere and they don't have to manufacture touches for. Um, so I liked. That's kind of why I like that. I like Bateman especially too because he's not a field stretcher necessarily. He can kind of do everything. So, like, while Hollywood's running go routes down the field and Lamar's not ever going to throw it to him, like, Bateman's open underneath. Um, I think that's why Mark Andrews has done so well in that offense. Uh, he's really yeah. the only option underneath. Um, how much Sammy Watkins eats into that, probably for the first week when he puts up 30, probably a lot. But after that, I think it's kind of Bateman's territory. So, I liked him. I think he was right. the best available here. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's fair. I think that I would have maybe considered Trey Sermon, who went at yeah. 110. Um, yeah. We can kind of trace it in there. And, I mean, something we will discuss, um, I, I'm going to suggest that we make this a two-part pod and just go through the first round on this one, and then we can do, like, a overall draft recap on, like, the next one. So this isn't, like, a three-hour pod. We can record later this week. But... I I obviously am all in on San Francisco in general. I think I have been since the last, like, literally since the startup. Like, I've had, um, let's see, I had Kittle for a while, and then I had Debo for a while. Um, I had Mostert, um, ended up trading all of them, but I'm still, I'm really high on Ayuk this year. I'm obviously high on Trey Lance this year, which we'll get to. Um, and because of that, I'm high on Trey Sermon, too. And I really think it's a matter of, um, Kyle Shanahan has been so good at scheming the offense in a way that like is uh, it produces fantasy points like for the players even if they are like subpar talents like Jimmy Garoppolo has been leading this offense for the last couple of years and I don't think Garoppolo is terrible I think he's probably average to below average and even still they've had like one of the most efficient run offenses in the NFL with Garoppolo who doesn't run. Like I don't even know how you do that. Um the mm-hmm. passing offense has been really efficient as well. And so bringing like a running back into the system, like it honestly I don't even care who it was. Like if, if they had drafted Javante Williams, like I would be so high on him. Or if they had drafted Michael Carter, like I would be really high on him too. But like the fact that they wanted Trey Sermon is like a sign for me, I think, that they that he's, like, their choice and they're going to use him. And I know that they have Mostert, and who knows, like, we'll have Lance, too, and Lance is going to run, and so that'll, that might get into it some. But I think when they moved to Lance, 
their offense is going to get even more efficient and they're going to score even more. I mean, in general, I think the 49ers are my choice to like win the NFC West and, and probably win the NFC if I gun to my head right now. But I don't know. I, I just think that Trent Sermon in this offense, like no matter who's the running back there, like, I mean, who was it last? Jeff Wilson Jr. was like a pretty good running back when he was only off yeah. last year in San Francisco. Um, and so now that they have a rookie that they like and that they drafted, um, not like super high, but like decently high, I like think that that is a very good sign. Uh, and because of that, I would probably have him a lot closer to Etienne and Javante. I don't know if him falling all the way to 10, I think is a really good, a really good scoop by Klein. Yeah. It's kind of shocking, especially looking at the second round that Sermon made it to 10. I really thought he'd be closer, kind of like you said, like to Javante and, and Etienne, just given yeah. the, the, the horniness for running backs in this league. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, well, that's the thing is that there was such a drop off after basically the first round. Like, I mean, I, Terrace Marshall, I'll include in that like first tier, but after those 13 picks, I mean, you have the three rookie quarterbacks too, but I mean, Amon Ross and Brown doesn't like move the needle at all. Neither does Dwayne mm-hmm. Anchorage or Kadarius Tony or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I guess I don't like, but, but that's what we've been saying. Like we've been saying, like, I don't know, like every pick has been a good pick so far. It's really just preference. And so it makes sense that Sermon fell to 10, but I think this is another one where it's just good to be in the first round, given the way that the players fell in this draft. And a second round pick is like not, even if 202 is like not nearly as valuable as the 1.11, you know, even though they're only like three picks apart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's try Sermon. I think we're kind of in agreement there that we think he's going to be good. Um, another player that I think we're in agreement on, but probably in a negative sense is Michael Carter at 1.11. So seriously, thank goodness. Uh, I'll let you take the lead on Michael Carter. I think Michael Carter like makes sense. I think it's just like this run, this rookie class is so low on running back talent that in good situations that Carter landed a pretty good situation, like a winnable backfield. Um, and therefore was just so hyped up. Um, saw him going consensus above Sermon for a long time, which makes, I guess, sense. People like Carter's tape um, in college a lot more than Sermon's, because apparently Sermon, a lot of people say a Sermon only had like one or two good games um, in college and kind of rode that to his rookie ADP. But... As far as like winnable backfield, I guess I understand the argument. He's, but at the same time, I don't necessarily see the Jets doing this tanking thing that they've been doing without Gase now and with a competent management. So, I mean, I guess I get it. People will kind of just assume as well that, um, I forget the coordinator's name that came over from the Niners is now the head coach. He's just going to implement that same running back committee system. And I don't, I mean, I know we've talked about Tevin Coleman and this is now a Tevin Coleman podcast, but I don't see him winning, like Coleman winning the job, but I definitely see him holding him and Ty Johnson, holding it down for the first, like, like you said, like Melvin Gordon, like six to eight weeks, um, while Carter learns 
the the pass blocking scheme. Yeah. So I don't know that I see like Car like you said like Carter's value being higher. I think they'll probably draft someone next year and let and Coleman retire or something. Um, but I mean the key yeah. to winning fantasy and adding depth is targeting winnable backfields and with like that are a mess and mm-hmm. Bullis is intent on competing this year. I think Carter's pretty solid value there at one point eleven. I don't think Rondale Moore, Terrence Marshall really pushed the needle for Bullis either, so why not take a shot at Mark at Carter? Yeah. I think this is the this is the opposite of the ETN argument where Mm-hmm. As an ETN, I've like seen a lot of stuff about how <clears throat> he was so efficient in college and the analytics love him, but the film guys like hate him. I've seen the exact opposite about Michael Carter to where everyone is, he was like the sleeper pre-draft of like, yeah, like this guy is like such a good like running back, like his vision is insane, his footwork is perfect. Um, and he fell all the way to the fourth round. Um, and yeah, just like you were saying, like, I don't know. And I think you tweet about this last night, but it, he's being drafted as though he's just going to step into the New York Jets backfield and like automatically lead all of those running backs in touches. Um, I think he's probably going to, but he was a fourth round pick. And so it's not like they invested too much draft capital in him. Um, and he wasn't in a timeshare in college. Um, he wasn't even the, the main back there. And so, Given both of those things, like, is he really going to step in and, like, come in the backfield in New York? Like, probably not. And so, I don't know. So, given that, like, if it's him or Trey Sermon, like, the choice is pretty easy for me. I'm just going to take Trey Sermon. Um, and it has yeah. nothing to do with that yeah. itself. It's literally just <laughs> Kyle Shanahan is amazing. But, um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's Carter is not someone who I would have taken here. I, I will end up with like zero Michael Carter exposure and redraft too because he's going in like the eighth round, and I just don't think that that makes sense. And that's why I kind of like. I mean, the Kevin Coleman, <laughs> we got so heated because I like like the thesis of the play of like yes, it's a jumbled backfield, like and Michael Carter probably is going to be the RB one the whole season, but I just prefer Ty Johnson. Um, I don't Amen. know. So. I'm a top, proud Ty Johnson owner right here. Yeah, you drafted him. Congratulations. You have the RV1 in New York. So and if we're talking ADP, I mean, Tevin Coleman in the sixth, Michael Carter in the first, Ty Johnson in the ninth of a rookie draft. Yeah, yeah. I'll take Ty Johnson in the ninth. Give me Ty Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last pick in the first round of the 2021 draft was Rondale Moore. Um I don't really know why I like Rondale more so much, honestly, because he wasn't someone that I liked until probably the last three weeks, maybe. I've, like, realized that I had, hadn't taken him in, like, any of my redraft leagues and hadn't really even considered him in, like, a dynasty perspective. And the more that I, like, watched, like, the highlights from training camp and was, like, reading stuff about him, the more I, like, think that he's going to be really good. Um, obviously, the Cardinals – invested draft capital in him and there's just really no one other than DeAndre Hopkins that's going to in my opinion uh like commands too much work in that offense and I, I do think a good comp for him is is like a Debo Samuel to where 
yeah, like he's probably not going to have like a super high A dot, but I think they're going to work to get him the ball in space. And I think that he's going to get a lot of targets and a lot of carries and a lot of other stuff. And he's with Kyler Murray. And so that offense is going to be really good. Um, and so even if he isn't necessarily like a red zone, what you would think of as a red zone threat, I like his chances of scoring like six or seven touchdowns just because I think the Cardinals offense is going to be good. And he's been drafted into the offense that, yeah, has Kyler Murray. And so, like, Bateman is tied to Lamar Jackson. Rondale Moore is going to be tied to Kyler Murray, which is a it's like a good situation to tie yourself to. Um, and the Cardinals, like, I don't know. Now their running backs are Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Um, I don't necessarily know. Like, I, And I like Edmonds, I guess. But I don't know. I, I just think there's definitely room in that offense for someone else to step up and have, like, a pretty big season opposite DeAndre Hopkins and with Edmonds and Connor. I don't think that it's going to be A.J. Green. <laughs> I don't think that it's going to be Christian Kirk. And so, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's going to be a tight end on the roster. Like, I think Rondale Moore could easily have, like, a 1,000 yards and five yeah. or six touchdowns, you know? I, I just don't think that's, like, that out of the question given, like, the competition there and how good that offense is going to be. And so, because of that, I would like to take a risk on a guy like him over a guy like Bateman, and honestly, even over a guy like Elijah Moore. I just really like – I really like the upside for Rondale. But I know you disagree, and so I'd love to hear the anti-case that – but you can't say the word dot. I mean, I love low dot. I just don't love the Tavon Austin – like use. I also don't even dislike Rondell Moore at all. Like I think he's the coin flip between Terrence Marshall and him. I just kind of like Marshall more. Um, but I mean, I can't. I really can't say anything bad about Rondell Moore. I like a quarterback because I own his quarterback. I size doesn't bother me because I like Elijah Moore and Devonta Smith. And I can't say his low to A dot is a bother because all of my wide receivers have like negative A dot. So. Yeah. I really can't say too much bad and justify it. I just, for whatever reason, had him last among these guys. Maybe it is the way, like, that offense is run. I don't love Cliff's offense. Um, but it does seem like they're going to throw more this year. I think he'll probably take the longest to get the most snaps. I think more will get more Waddle. Bateman will kind of pretty much instantly see the field a higher snap percentage. I think more and Marshall are kind of closer to like take a while. Um, but I mean, that's not really like a bad thing. I don't think you need Rondale or Terrence at 1.12 or 2.01 to like immediately make a difference. So give them time. Sure. So but I don't also, hate also it. The other thing is also in there, did you hear the stat line in the preseason game they played a couple of days ago? He, like, only played a few touches, and he had had five targets, a rush attempt, and a kickoff return. I don't know. They invested a second-round pick in him. He was incredible in college. They involved him in the preseason. There's been, like, good reports coming out of training camp. Like, I don't know. There's been kind of, like, a steady drumbeat on him of, like, positive news. And honestly, I've seen the same thing out of Elijah Moore. And so I don't necessarily want to make it seem like this is an anti- Elijah Moore take, but I just think there's been enough with Rondale that they're going to work to get him involved, and I think they're I think they're going to, and so I think he's going to be pretty good. 
So that yeah. even though Paul, thankfully Paul isn't listening to this, and so maybe he'll have like a bad week one, and I'll offer up a pick or something for him, or even a player, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. But I do like Rondo more. He's kind of the one guy that I was like, ah, I like want to trade up for him. It doesn't make any sense for my team, but I would like like to have a share of him. But nevertheless, yeah. Okay. Well, we're about two hours in. We've discussed all of the trades that happened pre-draft and the first round of the draft. Um, I guess next time on the podcast, we'll have to discuss um, the trades that happened during the draft, the trades that happened after the draft. We'll have to do draft grades. Um, and then we'll have to do a power rankings, too, at some point. Yeah, now that the two-hour pod coming. Yeah. And then, I mean, at some point, probably – so, I mean, there's this coming week, but then next week – we're going to have to do a week one preview pod because we're like running out of time. Like we're going to have to start previewing yeah. the week one matchups and like doing, I don't know. We're, we're probably going to try to, we need to figure out a night that we can like record consistently during the week to do like a mm. weekend review slash week uh, preview for the up ahead week. So we're going to have to like start getting yeah. into that routine at some point. So any of the, any of the off season pods that you and I have like talked about wanting to do, we're like, don't have that much time to do them. So, we might be yep. busy over the next four weeks. Okay. Well, I love it. A lot of content All right. coming. All right. Well, I'm glad that we got – this is a pretty good pod. I'm glad that we got to hear about how you're a cheater and how you drafted 11 players. And then you're also a cheater because you made a trade with Klein that involved a player that, like, hadn't been traded yet. But – Bob's a real cheater. Up, we just traded as karma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's karma for you cheating. We also realized that Bob uh, didn't actually trade you his 2.10 like he said he was going to. So Yeah, I don't want to actually go too hard on Bob because cause Bob did put in there that I owned that pick. It just got lost yeah. in translation, I guess, when Cole made the draft board. So do, do, I, get like a, do I get like a compensatory like second-round pick next year, like a 2.13 or something? Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you've got to think that you get – just Bob second next year. That would make the most sense. <laughs> yeah. It would make the most sense, but it would also be more unfair to you. But maybe that's your punishment for for, for taking 11 players. Is yeah. that, I mean, because I mean, find value of picks. You know, it's better to have a second round now than a second rounder next year. So, yeah. I don't know. But that's it is, but it was it, 2.10. And so maybe this coming year, Bob is not going to be the third best team. And, It'll like be a better pick. Who knows? Yeah, if the, if it ends up being a twenty twenty two second, I'll be okay with it. Who would you have taken at two point ten? Would you have taken Diane Brown? I feel like you would have. Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, so you, you ended up it it you got it. I could have. Yeah, it would have been like Diami, uh, Gasecki, or Paris Campbell, probably. So. Yeah. Well. Oh well. I think those guys want. If any of those guys who own the player I just mentioned want Bob's 2022 second, we can make a deal. Uh, well, Grant is definitely not listening to this. He owns Kaseki. Mm. Um, Dylan is listening to this. He took Campbell in the third. Dylan, I'm going to tell you right now, you should take this deal. <laughs> a future second. I agree. Yeah. Right. I think that's a good deal. <laughs> y'all, y'all can communicate offline. <laughs> All right, Tink. It was a pleasure as always. Do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, nope. 
Perfect. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later, then we'll get this posted. Uh, Peace. Bye.